take a moment tonight as we um, conclude our time before I get into the message tonight. Again, just thank you for your words of encouragement, words of life, words of affirmation, vehicles given to drive, food given to eat. It's hard to keep my diet on weeks like this. Uh, but you do it because of Jesus. And you do it joyfully, cheerfully. And we want to say thank you. You don't have to, but you want to because of Jesus. And then financially, we are so grateful. We are so grateful. So on behalf of our family and the entire ministry and our staff, God bless you. Thank you. Uh, we are so grateful. And Derek mentioned the cold. Somebody said today there will be minus 6 in Iowa to enjoy the minus 10 below zero. Minus 6 people, Lord willing, after tonight. Uh, but pray as we travel on tonight. We hope to be home by tomorrow evening. There's a function at our home church that um, we would like to be there for. So pray that everything would go well uh, to... Um, to make it for that. But again, God bless you. Thank you so much for your uh, generosity in so many ways. And tonight, as we look into the Word, I was praying throughout the morning and today, and just, Lord, how do you want to bring this together? And so I've, I've, I've kind of combined several messages, uh, if you will, and combining them together here tonight, because, um, you know, there's, there's, there's one thing that is so, I believe, important in our lives as we had the privilege of being together this week and part of the week and just being encouraged in the Word and fellowshipping together, worshiping together, hearing the Word preached together and so on. And, you know, there's a, there's a time where now uh, the, the, the opening Scripture, Brother Dwight, was so, was so fitting because there's a time where we now, we now put into action what... We, we don't just sit and drink in and enjoy that, but now we, 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 we put into action, we verbalize our faith, we're intentional about sharing our faith and, and making Christ known. And tonight, as, as we want to we briefly address, uh, just I don't want to focus much on this, but just enough to, uh, to help us, maybe help me to understand better the conditions of our world, and as we share Christ and make Him known some of the realities that we are in, in our nation. Nothing new to any of you, but just some things that uh, we want to talk about, specifically as it relates to the pandemic. Uh, for some, if you hear that word, you're just like, oh boy, I don't even like to hear the word. I understand. Or if we use the word COVID, or we use, you know, whatever, um, some people don't like to hear that word, but we've heard it a lot, probably too much, are still hearing it, probably too much. Anyway, I'll just leave that. I'm not here to debate. I'm not here to share my opinion, but I'm here to look into the word and to perhaps create a bit of an awareness, and I imagine we're all aware of it, but just to reemphasize, and some of my personal experiences during the time uh, that we had COVID. But then what should our response be uh, to that? That's where we're going tonight. I want to begin in 2 Kings chapter 4, and if you haven't figured that out, it is on the screen. It is several verses, 38 to 41. Now, I am used to preaching out of the... Um, King James Version, but I want to read this in the NLT tonight. If that's not the version you have, I have that version on the screen or on the wall, and I want to read it from that here tonight just to get the setting. Overcome the poison in the pot. You know, I thought about just calling it the poison in the pot, but you know, as believers in Christ, we don't just talk about the poison, but we talk about overcoming we are more than conquerors in Christ, would you agree? So we overcome the poison that we are fed, or the poison in the pot in this case. Elisha now returned, I'm in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 38. 
Elisha now returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. So there's the setting. One day, as the group of prophets was seated before him, he said to his servant, put a large pot on the fire and make some stew for the rest of the group. One of the young men, he went out into the field to gather herbs. He came back with a pocket full of wild gourds. He shredded them, and he put them into the pot without realizing they were poisonous. Some of the stew was served to the men, but after they had eaten a bite or two, they cried out, Man of God, there is poison in this stew. So they would not eat it. Elisha said, Bring me some flour. Then he threw it into the pot, and he said, Now it's all right. Go ahead and eat. And then it did not harm them. A very interesting account in Scripture, is it not? You know, sometimes I wonder if we really realize what we're eating. I think tonight of the pastor who went to visit an older person in their church who was who was on her last days of living, and the pastor went, it was a lady, he went to her house and, and had a, vi- a visitation with her. They sat in the living room, and of course she invited him in. And as he sat down, in the front of the sofa was a, a piece of furniture, a little coffee table or something, and on this uh, table was a small bowl of peanuts. And the pastor was a bit hungry, but he, he, he kept looking at these peanuts, and he was like, man, I... Do I ask her, don't I, or do I just eat him, or what do I do? He finally asked the lady, hey, lady, uh, sister, uh, would, would, would you mind if I would have a few of these uh, peanuts? She said, oh, pastor, eat all you want. It is no problem uh, at all. And so they're visiting, and an hour went by, and he gets up to leave, and he looks at the peanut dish, and, and he realized he had practically eaten all of them. And then he felt kind of bad. He was like, oh, my word, what, what am I going to eat? I didn't realize, but just in their visit, you know, he'd grab some more. He'd eat and grab some more and eat. And finally he said, um, lady, he said, uh, I'm so sorry, but I pretty much ate all your peanuts. And the lady goes, oh, pastor, it's just fine. Since I'm older, I don't have very many teeth left, and so I just suck off the chocolate and leave the peanuts there. Sometimes... We don't know what we're eating. Yeah. Spiritually speaking, as I look at this passage and I look what was happening, so first of all, there was a famine in the land, and so they're preparing stew and just trying to gather what they have. And this this one young guy went out in the field to gather herbs. He found wild vines, wild gourds. He gathered them. He brought them in a whole lap full of them. They they cut them up. They chop them in the stew, and they they stir it into the stew, not realizing it was poison. They didn't realize what they were eating. Would you agree with me that as it relates to our country and in the world, that in the last two years we have been fed a lot of poison? And I wonder sometimes if we, again, if we're not tuned in to Almighty God in the way that we ought to be, we find ourselves partaking of the poison without realizing it. And I want to just address that just a moment. You know, there is, and I have, anything that I say tonight, I want to say this. I say it with no motive of disrespect to government, to the medical field. There's there's no ounce of disrespect in my heart whatsoever for any of those. Keep that in mind as we go through this. But when I look at what, what we have been fed, and, and as this pandemic was unfolding and, 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 and the medical world, if you will, was trying to figure out what is it and how, what are the symptoms and how do you address it and, and what do you do and what don't you do and, and all of those things, they were, they were doing their job. Well, about two months into, uh, it was uh, May of 2020, uh, where we were exposed to the virus, and all of a sudden, some of us started not feeling so well, and we were like, okay, what is this? Well, it just kind of felt like, well, it's, I felt that before. What do you do, and what don't you do? And, and, and we, were, we, were just, we, were, we were just ready to, you know, we're, we're ready for, well, it was, it was during the, the, uh, the, the shutdown, but when 
the shutdown happened in March. We were ready to go on a 20-year anniversary tour, and, and, and through that whole thing, we're trying to learn about this thing. And, and then I soon found out, uh, calling all these different pastors to reschedule, I could soon find out where they were at with it. <laughs> but now, now two months later, as we were exposed to the virus and started having some symptoms and do you get tested or don't you and all of that. In that process, I was again in touch with some pastors and, and trying to reschedule for later. Long story short, we did go get tested. Some people would disagree with that. Well, I don't think you should because I don't want to be in the number in their system. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> we don't have to agree together with that. Some people would disagree, but we felt with public ministry, we, just, we, we felt like, you know what, let's, let's, let's get tested. Now, our family, there were seven, that was before our oldest daughter was married, so we, we go to the local health department. We thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity to let our light shine for Jesus. And thankfully, we weren't like sick, sick, and we, 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 were, we, went, there, we went there in three different vehicles because you had to do it in the parking lot, and, and now, now th- th- this was early on. And so we, we drive in there. Here come these two guys. We had an appointment and everything. I mean, we're outside in the parking lot, and they're just like, like all suited up. And I mean, you, you couldn't hardly even see them. It just looked like this ghost coming out at you, you know. And, and they, they were all suited. And I, I, I really think they, they thought this is a crazy bunch because we're, we're like all parked beside each other. We had our windows down. We had our phones out, and we were like, hey, we're, we're going to video this process. I mean, we're going to, we want them to see that Jesus is the light of the world, and we wanted, we wanted to, to, to just be a witness to him. And, and so, of course, they, they kind of like, they, they, we, we're, we're talking to him, and they're telling us stories about, in fact, they said the one guy was so scared to do the test, they had to chase him around the building, just to, you know, outside, you know, anyway, that's a side note. So we were like, they were like, okay, who wants to go first? I think it was Eugene. One of the boys like, hey, I'll go first. So we have our phones out and we're videoing each other and, and we're 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 just having a we're just having a great time. You know, what an opportunity to let our light so shine rather than becoming discouraged at what is happening. But in the middle of all this, well, we, we got our test results back. They were positive. And by the time we got our tests back, we were we were within, you know, they they at that time. They traced it back, okay, what day were your, were your first symptoms, and then 10-day quarantine, and, and all that whole rigmarole, whatever all you want to call that. Well, we were almost out of quarantine time by the time we got our test, test results back, whatever that all means. But through that whole thing, as I'm processing, I'm trying to lead my family through this process. I'm trying to lead our ministry through it. What do you do? And All our staff had it. Some were more sick than others. What do you do? How do you handle these situations? In the middle of that, I felt a heaviness on me that I had not felt in years. After we were out of quarantine, recovered, back at it, I'm out on the lawnmower one night, mowing lawn. And I'm praying, just talking to God and started asking the Lord, what was that weight? What was that heaviness that I was feeling? I'd still felt it some, but not to the degree that I did when we were in the middle of it. And I'm just asking the Lord. I said, Lord, what was that heaviness all about? I just praying. And I heard within five seconds, I heard three words that surprised me. Well, it's, I say it surprised me. It one of those where it did, but it didn't. Once you heard him, it didn't surprise you. But yet, when it was, when it was first like, and, and it was like, it, it was literally almost, I mean, I had the lawnmower boy, uh, sound, and it, it, was, it was like I heard it so clear in my spirit. It was not an audible voice, but in my spirit. I heard three words so loud and clear that night on the lawnmower about, remember, I was asking the Lord, what was the weight? What was the heaviness? And the three words that I heard were control, confusion, and fear. Those were the three words I heard. And I'm like, wow, Lord, that is exactly what I felt. 
It's exactly what I felt. Here's what was happening. So in the middle of this, as I'm trying to lead our family, lead our ministry through it, I would, I would call somebody. I would say, I would ask for advice. I would, I, I would call a friend or I'd call a pad, call somebody and say, what, what do you think we should do? How should we handle this? How should we walk through it? I get off the phone. I'm more confused than before the call. I call another person and, and, and they would give their opinion. They'd give their side. And I'd get off the phone and, and I felt controlled by them. And then, then thirdly, that when we're confused and feeling controlled, then we give in the fear. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, I was eating of this poison and didn't even realize it. And that night on the lawnmower, I don't know if you ever heard of lawnmower revelation and lawnmower repentance and lawnmower rejoicing and set free all in one night. Above the law. I mean, I didn't care anymore if the lines were straight. As I was in touch with God. Hallelujah. It was, it was a glorious night because it was revelation, and, and then it was repentance. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry for, for even, and I would even tell people, you know, in, in this whole, I would tell people, uh, don't give in to fear. You know, don't be unwise about it, but don't give in to fear. Don't do this. Don't do that. I would be telling people. All of a sudden, I realized I myself was partaking of that stuff, giving into it. I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I mean, there's a there, there was a, 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 a burden that was just gone that night from my heart. Repentance and then rejoicing. And I, I'm in my rejoicing stage, and then I hear the still small voice. Now, you go tell that to the church. Ooh, then I had another thing to process. Because I said, Lord, I'm not sure if people are going to listen to this. But it was all of a sudden, it was like, you know what? This is what CBS, NBC, CNN, and all of those, this is, what, this is the part they're not telling us. The medical field is doing their job in portraying the symptoms and the physical side of things. That's what they're called to do. That's what they're doing. Whether they do it right or not, I'm not here to judge them. But what I am saying is they're only telling us part of it. Now, we are to make the church aware. I believe the real spirit and the devastation behind this virus is confusion, control, and fear. And that has done as much or more damage than any physical symptom that this virus has caused. Why has the suicide rate escalated? Why has the drug use escalated? Because there is confusion on the loose. There is a spirit of fear on the loose. There's a spirit of control on the loose. Now that sounds dark and gloomy, but friend, it is the greatest time for the Christian to be alive. And unfortunately, the church has buckled up and has given in to that stuff instead of rising up and making a difference in the world. Am I giving in to the fears or am I rising up and taking the light to the world? Challenging, challenging. I, 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 I doubt if any of you were this carnal. But in that process, man, I had to repent of my attitude. One morning, I'm sitting on the recliner, and I'm, I'm, I am so frustrated at some of these governors. In the initial, I'm not going to start naming them. <laughs> but I'm, 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 I'm sitting there on the recliner, and I'm reading in 1 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians, you don't have to turn to it, just, I, I'm reading 2 Corinthians 4, and I am, fr I mean, at at that time, it was the governors that kind of made the headlines, if you will. There was about three or four of them that were, were kind of out on the front lines. You, you probably could all name them tonight. And I'm sitting there, and I, I am just upset at these people. And, uh, you know, I, I've been, I was telling a brother last night, was it you, Keith, maybe? Because I wasn't sure yet where all I'm going tonight with it. But I, I, I've been processing this thing out of Romans 1. I'll get back to 2 Corinthians 4. But Romans 1, you know, where, where it talks about the homosexuals and, the, you know, the, all that stuff. And then it, it says that God turned them over to a reprobate mind. I've been processing how does a reprobate mind think. Let's just take, for instance, um, 
Okay, so, so back, let, 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 let's take an atheist, for instance. Um, let me look at the definition of atheist. I think I have it here in my paper somewhere. Yes, okay, here we go. One of the definitions of an atheist, a person who disbelieves or lacks belief in the existence of God. Okay? Back in August 2021, August, I think it was 12th or somewhere in there. I don't know if some of you saw this, but there was a worldwide call from the atheist groups to go at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern Time, to go outside and commit a defying act against God. Some of you know where this is going. And the opposing view was, let the Christians go outside and lift their hands and worship God. That was the opposing view. So my oldest son, he sent an in-house message through our messaging system uh, for our staff and said, hey, 2 o'clock, he explained the thing. 2 o'clock this afternoon, why don't we go outside and lift our hands and worship God and gave the reason why. Great idea. Well, one of my coworkers responded to the message that interesting. That an atheist who doesn't believe God exists, why would they plan to go outside and commit an act, defying act against him? Duh. I mean, but, but all, all I'm saying is, I, I don't say it, they're human beings. They have a soul that needs Jesus. But all I'm saying is, it's like, it's, it's, it's how a reprobate mind thinks. And it helped me to understand a little bit. I mean, some of that thinking comes through our government. I don't say it disrespectfully. It's, but it helps me to, to deal with it and understand a bit more where they're coming from rather than just getting frustrated at them. Because I, I want to look past them and see into their heart. All it takes is a touch of Jesus. And I have the privilege to impact the world. Well, that morning on the recliner, I'm, I'm, I'm reading, I'm frustrated at, at these governors who make such bizarre uh, choices and decisions. And what do we expect non-believers to do? Make godly choices? It's not what non-believers do. People that are driven by evil don't make good choices. <laughs> because that's not where they're getting their signal from. You all breathing out there? Yeah, good. Okay, great, great. Now let's keep going. So I'm, I'm sitting on the recliner, and I'm, and I'm frustrated at these governors, and I'm, I'm in my case is building. Look at this. Uh, but if our gospel be hid, I'm in verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world is blind the minds of them which believe not. Man, I, my, I mean, my case was building. My, I was frustrated, and I'm reading this, and that, that is exactly right. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. That's exactly what the problem is. And I mean, I was building my case and just adding fuel to the fire. But then I kept reading. You know what it says, the last part of that verse? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I broke. And I wept. I said, Jesus, I am so sorry. There is no governor too far gone for Jesus. No matter who he or she is. Nancy Pelosi is not too far gone. I don't like to use names, but I will. Think about it. There is no governor. There's no, there, there's, there's no high official in government. Not one, no matter. They're not too far gone for the light of the gospel to reach them. So am I going to sit back and complain about what's going on, or am I going to say, Jesus, empower me to take the light to the world? That's the challenge for me. We can sit back and eat this poison of control, confusion, and fear, and get frustrated and angry and upset at our government and the decisions they're making, or governors, or whoever all, or we can say, Lord, set me aflame. 
take this fire and light to the world. That is the greatest honor. It is the highest calling. Because in fact, if we, I'm not going to spend much more time on this, but when Elisha said, bring me some flour, what does that represent? You know, they couldn't just reach into this stew and pull the poison out because it was stirred in there. So they had to do something to neutralize it, something to, over, something to overpower the poison. Bring me some flour. So they brought flour and they put it in and they stirred it. Now they served it and it was no longer poisonous. May I suggest that flour represents God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that power in us is enough to overcome any poison that we will ever face. Yes! And that power is in us And as we nurture that life and power and anointing, it gets our eyes off of the poison and it it increases our intentionality to take the light to the world. Wow, what a privilege. It is exciting to live in this era. It's exciting. I've heard my wife testify in the last year, year and a half, at some of our services, if I would um, have her share a testimony, uh, uh, she would often, she would say, you know, we, 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 we may, we, Somewhere in Revelation, we're just not sure which chapter. We may, uh, what if, you know, uh, goodness, there's all kinds of stuff coming. There are some positive things about Joe Biden being our president. Good, at least one person. Um, Goodness, I had to stop a little bit there. You know, I I, I believe it's going to wake the church up much quicker. Yeah. There were too many Christians that were putting their faith and trust in President Trump. And I remember when he was running back in 2020, my wife and I watched the first debate. (laughs) After that, my wife said, if there's one thing I got out of that, let's never put our trust in any man. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I appreciate, we probably most of us appreciate what Trump stands for, but he's not the Savior. He's not the Savior. But friend, we may see, we may be in a generation that we may see the return of Christ. Because I I heard my wife say, what if President Trump was the last president to name the name of Christ? What if? It's okay. I want to get out of here. We don't have to deal with this poison anymore. But until that happens... We are privileged and honored to take the greatest message of hope to the world. And I'm not just talking going across the water to Africa and China and India and all those. That's great if God calls us there. But I'm talking about everyday living. We have the answer. We have the answer right here in us, through us. I heard my son the other Sunday night a week ago, we were sharing a concert at our home church, and I think he referred to it the other night here too, but I'm trying to think exactly how he put it, but something like this. We're talking about before the uh, Touch by a Fire song, let, no, let, it, let it be known. He's like, like the person that you walk beside that's going to spend eternity somewhere. What do we have to lose? I heard him say, give it a shot. I'm sitting back there like, yes, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Um, there are many, um, back, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition out of the poison now and look at our privilege and responsibility. During the campaigning time, September 2020, before the last election. I was made aware of a prayer march up in our nation's capital on September 26th. That was on a Saturday. About Monday or Tuesday of that week, I became aware of this event put on by Dr. Franklin Graham. I remember looking at it like, man, I'd love to go there, but I didn't see my way through in the schedule and finances and all of that. 
about Wednesday or so, I, I talked to my wife about it, and she's like, honey, you need to go. Now, her and the girls were going to go to Indiana, and I think she felt kind of sorry for me being home alone, but uh, was part of it. But she's like, honey, you need to go. I said, I'd like to, but we had an obligation at home Friday night. We were doing sound, I think, at a wedding or something, and, and I, I couldn't go till Saturday morning. I would have had to fly and all that, and, and I, was, I was looking at some costs, and we had a wedding coming up about a month later. I'm like, and, and of course, she was like, oh, you, the Lord will provide. I was like, that's yeah, easy for you to say. I pay the bills, you know, anyway. That, well, long story short, on Thursdays, I am still processing. Over my lunch break, I'm there at the office, and I'm, I'm, I'm during my lunch break, and I'm, I'm like going on the computer, and I'm, I'm saying, you know what? I could fly from Asheville to Washington Dulles, and 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 I could actually make it in time. There was a flight, but it was like 500 bucks, and I'm like, there's just no way I can afford that, you know. And I'm, I'm processing all this. I had an appointment with my little pickup to get it serviced at the local Ford garage. Appointment that afternoon at 2.30. And this is about 1.15 or 1.20. I get a call from my mechanic. Out of the 22 years we have lived there, this has never happened before. He called me and he said, hey, brother, um, we had a cancellation. Could you come at 1.30? Instead at 2.30. I said, sure. So I hopped in my truck and I went. It was all about timing. So I get there. And the owner of this Ford garage, which I've known him for years, great guy, he's out in the shop, which is rare. But again, the timing. So we start chatting. We start catching up. Hadn't seen him for a month. We, we start chatting. And, and uh, he, he quotes Billy Graham. He supports the local radio station that started under Billy Graham. And, and they had an appreciation luncheon or something a couple days before. He's talking about this, and he quotes Billy Graham. I thought, interesting that you're quoting Billy Graham. Are you aware of what Franklin is doing uh, this Saturday up in D.C., the prayer march? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it. I said, well, I was actually just, I was processing. I, I'd love to go. I don't, I don't see my way through. And just, it was a passing comment. And we talked about other stuff and didn't think of nothing, you know. Well, I go in there. We chatted a while, caught up, and then I went into the little waiting room, and I was doing some stuff on my phone. And About 15 minutes later, he came in and said, hey, when you're done, come over here. And So I finished up what I was doing, and I went over to him, brought from here back to the sanctuary, uh, the end of the benches there. And, he, and then he pulls me around a corner. I'm like, this is really strange. This is the owner of the Ford garage. Like, what did I do? And he said, um, first of all, your, your pickup's done. I said, okay, great. And he said, secondly, go back to your office, book your ticket to go to D.C. I'm paying for it. You need to be there. And I start crying. I said, Robbie, I don't, I don't know what to say. He said, you don't have to say anything. You want my credit card or check? So I went back to the office, and I, I got on there again, and I found the flights that would work timing-wise, and it was like $498 and some change. And I called him back, and I said, do you realize what this cost? And he, he didn't even ask. He again asked. He just asked me, do you want credit card or check? I said, well, it's, your, it's whatever you decide. Here, here's, the, here's the cost. And he gave me his credit card number over the phone. I end up in D.C. that morning of September 26th, and I'm out there where there are thousands of people gathered, and I start looking around, and I'm like, okay, what, what, is, what is really going on? I mean, I am just overtaken, and I look around, and all of a sudden, this is what I saw. We started out at the Lincoln Memorial, and we were going to walk all the way to the Capitol which is 2.8 miles and about seven or eight stops of specific prayer focuses on the way. So I'm there and I'm looking for where the speakers are, where's the stage, where's the, all that. And I saw some things, I came up some steps and I saw some things roped off there and right there, all of a sudden, music starts playing. Michael W. Smith comes out on the piano and starts leading this group of people in worship. Now, I, what do you call them, glory bumps? 
And I just start, I, I just start like, Lord, this, this is amazing. Ben Franklin comes out. Then he introduced Mike Pence and his wife. And I'm, I'm from here to the back of the sanctuary from these guys. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I, I, I kind of weaseled my way up the steps. And I came right up to the cameraman to the tripod. And there was a little, there was about enough room for one person. And I mean, I planted myself there. I said, I am not moving from this place. I mean, I had a good, good view. All of a sudden, I look around. And I was just like, is this actually for real? Are there actually this many people in America that are serious about their life with him. These are tens of thousands of people. I heard different numbers I'm, that were there. But literally, tens of thousands of people that gathered, drove and flew from all over the country for one purpose. That was to call upon the name of the Lord. I was so moved. Not only that, while I'm at the airport in Asheville, that morning waiting to board the plane, I saw on social media that my friend Paul Mark Miller was in D.C. the night before, and he had a post and said, uh, sound check should be a great weekend. And I'm like, did it start last night? So I text him. I said, are you in D.C.? And he said, yes. Then I had to turn my phone off and all that. When I got there, I tried to call him. And he answered, and we're trying to, in the middle of all this, we're trying to find each other. Can you imagine that? So he's telling me these landmarks. Like, well, here's a little white tent, and this is a sidewalk, and it's, it's right beside the street, and, and it wasn't anything close to where I was. I mean, this was not, this is in front of the Lingam Memorial. The Lingam Memorial is is up here. I'm not sure if this picture shows. No, it's about the same. And nothing was matching up. And finally, I said, Paul Mark, I don't think we're at the same place. And he said, well, I'm down here in the lawn at the return. Where are you? And I said, the return, what is that? What I didn't know going there. So here at the Lingham Memorial, Franklin Graham had organized a prayer march where tens of thousands of people were gathering. The same weekend in our nation's capital, halfway between the Lingam Memorial and the Capitol building, what they call the lawn area. Those of you who have been in Washington probably know what I'm talking about. There, the, uh, the Jewish uh, prophet, uh, Jonathan Kahn, was putting on something called the return where Friday night and all day Saturday, tens of thousands of people were gathered together worshiping and praying in our nation's capital all at the same time. I was moved. And I said, Lord, what you hear in the news, everything is negative and bad and poisonous. But friend, why aren't they there covering this? This is amazing. Not everything in America is bad. There are people that are on fire for God. And I'm not saying all these people were on fire for God. But many of them were. Not everything in America is bad. I want to join the thousands that are taking the light to the world and making a difference. I came away from there. I was so moved. One of the things was, there are, not everything in America is bad. Secondly, Franklin Graham, Jonathan Kahn, they used the platform God gave them to make a difference in the world. God spoke to me, you have a platform. You have a platform. I have a platform. It may not be to the level that these guys have, but everyone that names the name of Christ, we have a platform. It could be that person you rub shoulders with every day or that you meet at Walmart. Um, there is a, uh, oh, let me go here. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind, say not ye. This is what Jesus said. Say not ye, there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields that are white already to harvest, and he that reapeth receiveth wages, gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Ever notice when Jesus comes on the scene, how it changes everything? This is what you think, but here's what I say. You say there's yet four months, but I say. The time is now. I don't know a time in history that it was more ripe for people, for Christians, to share the gospel. People are looking for hope. Where are they going to find it? 
not coming from the White House. It needs to come from us. We say, oh, it's yet four months. Jesus said, no, now, the field, they're white. They're white on the harvest. I mean, they're just ready. Harvest. Looked up the definition some years ago of the word harvest. Something out there that is going through a process ready to be brought in for a special use. Can I look at governors that way? Can I look at the world that way? Someone out there. God is, God is preparing. I don't know of a time where people are more open to the gospel. Because they're looking for hope. What am I doing? Sitting back here eating poison? Or am I saying, Lord, set me aflame. And help me to take the light to the world. What a blessing. Some water and some plant, but God gives the increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believe? Even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted it, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Friend, we are not in this alone. We are co-laborers together with God. What a partner. Partner, is that even, that's almost an understatement for God. But we are his partner. We're teaming up with him. We're co-laborers together with him. Some water, some plant. You know that um, an average statistic, that people need to hear the gospel seven times. You've probably heard it. People need to hear the gospel seven times before they respond to it. Some do it quicker, others longer. But seven times. It doesn't matter to me if I'm number one or number six. Every now and then, I get to be number seven. I call that a spiritual payday. A spiritual payday. I think tonight of uh, a young man some years ago down at the South Carolina Prison Crusade. There at McCormick, we were out in the gym. We are having a service, and after the invitation, and people had inmates had come forward. And then most of them had left to go back. There was still one of our volunteers with an inmate about halfway back in where the audience was sitting. And he motioned me to come back. And I went back there, and the volunteer just told me, he said, Brother Dave, he said, this guy is so close. He is so close to giving his life to Christ. And about that time, an officer came. Got to go. Well, in prison, when they say got to go, you don't ask questions. You got to go. So the inmate walks off. And this dear volunteer stood there, brokenhearted. He said, Dave, he was so close. I remember putting my arm around him and said, Brother, I so appreciate your heart. What we don't know, you could have been number six. Because there could have been other inmates in there that have been witnessing to this man for years that deserve to be. Number seven. It's not what number we are. Some water, some plant. God gives the increase. It doesn't matter where we are in that process. But we share the seed of faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Every now and then, we're going to be number seven. Some of you heard me share this story, but I call it Biker Billy. Nashville, Tennessee. Some years ago when our family was at a family conference and we ended on a Friday night. And we had some friends there and we just, they were staying in a motel. We were in an RV and we were going to go to their hotel in the lobby and order pizza and just have a time together to unwind and all of that. We get there before they do. We park up on a hill and we're walking down. There's a McDonald's there and a, the hotel was here. So as we're coming down the hill, our family, all seven of us, there comes this gentleman walking across the way. And he goes, hey, sir, uh, would you have a few dollars to help me with some gas? And, of course, right away it's like, okay, is this a true story? Is this for real? I said, well, what, what, do you, what do you have going on? He said, well, my car is just down the road here, and if I, if I have some gas to move it, the police told me they're going to tow it, and I don't want a towing bill. 
and, and if, if, if I move it quick enough, um, they, they won't do that, and they won't charge me, and I, I just need a few dollars for gas. And um, I said, okay. I turned around, I talked to the family, and we decided, you know what, we'll help him. We'll go with him. I'm very slow just to hand money. There was times when I felt led to do that, but that time I didn't. I just remember turning around and said, hey, sir, um, we decided uh, we, would just, we would be honored to help you. Um, where's, where, where's your car, you said again? He said, oh, just, just down the way. I said, okay, great. Let's, we'll walk with you. Show us where the car is. I, I said, is it this way? He said, yeah, just over here. And show us where it is. And he just stands there. He doesn't go with us. And I'm like, is it? And by that time, his head just dropped. I said, sir, um, you really don't need gas, do you? And he said, no. Began to listen to his story. Waiting for that moment when you bring Jesus into the picture. God opened that door. And one of the things I try to learn in evangelism and one-on-one -on -one witnessing is ask questions. I said, sir, could I have your name, please? Name is very important. Could I have your name, please? He said, yes, sir. My name is Billy. They call me Biker Billy. I said, oh, Biker Billy, where did you grow up? Just started asking him, you know, the natural questions and about his family. And then God opened the door to say, um, uh, so what was your church life like? Did you attend church somewhere? And uh, what, what, is it, what is it like? Well, I grew up this way. And I said, what, what, about, what about right now? How, how is it for you right now? And he said, well, I occasionally attend a church, and if I do, it's, it's, it's right here in town. And in this, in this process, I am looking around, my family, I'm feeling my pockets. I want one of those steps to peace with God tracks. Oh, Henry, you got one. Way to carry them things. There are other tools you can use too, but this is one of the, one of the most effective ones I've used. I'm sure you have others that uh, you can use. But I, I, I really wanted one of these things because in here is a diagram that not only depicts, but it, ever, ever see that diagram? There's two mountains on the left side, sinful man, on the right side, a holy God, and what bridges the gap? You know, there, there, there's all kinds of stuff we try to get from an unholy condition to a holy condition. We try to live good morally. We try to not do this and not do that or good works or religion, all those kind of things. But nothing reaches except Christ. And I wanted that diagram to show him, not only that we can tell him, but I wanted to show him what we're talking about. And, and I, I was feeling my pocket. I didn't have one. I asked the family, anybody steps to peace? Because Ruth Ann often has them in her purse or something. I mean, we didn't have one of these on us. And we didn't want to lose momentum. We didn't want to go back to the RV because we would have lost momentum there. And I was like, okay, Lord, you have a plan. So he's telling me what church he attends here in town. As he's telling me this, he pulls his wallet out of his back pocket, and he pulls out a business card of the church. You know, nice little business card at the name of the church on, picture of the church, the address right there. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I, I, I'm looking at it. And as I'm looking at this card, I, I heard the still small, I just sense God saying, turn the card around. I'm like, oh, interesting. I turned the card around. Guess what was on the back side of that card? This diagram right here. Yes! Oh, I, I, I mean, I almost had a Pentecostal fit. It, whatever those are. I mean, you talk about a, a, an, an unsafe person handing you exactly what you were looking for and didn't have it. So he pulls it out of, and hands it to me. I, and I mean, I didn't show what I was feeling <laughs> because it would have been what I just did. And that would not have been good at that moment. But within me, I'm just like, are you kidding me, Lord? I mean, I'm like, seriously, you handed this thing to me through him. This very diagram. I'm like, uh, Billy, um, um, have you ever looked at this diagram? And, um, well, no, not, not, not really. And um, said, um, would, would you mind if I would show this to you? You know, get permission. Ask questions. And he said, sure. So it just opened the door. I had permission, right? 
And so I said, Billy, you see these two mountains here. On the left side, people, sin, rebellion, separation. On the right side, God, peace, forgiveness, abundant life. Billy, which side would you see yourself on? Now, I could have told him which side he's on. But I'm like, Billy, which side would you see? I mean, without hesitation, he pointed to the left side. I mean, the guy had just tried to take advantage of us. He knew exactly what side. And the moment he pointed to the left side, I said, Billy, you know what? You have just taken the first step to get to the other side because you admitted where you are. Would you like to get to this side? He said, sure. I said, do you see what it takes to get from here to here? Jesus Christ, he's the way, the truth, and the life. I said, Billy, we can't make you do it. We're here to help if you would like, but it's in your hands. What would you like to do? Right there, Nashville, Tennessee, McDonald's parking lot on the outside, Biker Billy gave his life to Jesus Christ. That day, we were number seven. Yes! I call that a spiritual payday. We took him into McDonald's, or was it Burger King beside it or something, and got him something to eat and encouraged him, plug into a church and, and, and you know, get, 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 get involved in a church and all that. Never seen him since. Hadn't seen him before. Haven't seen him since. But Biker Billy that day gave his life to Jesus Christ. See, people right now, more than ever, now that was some years ago, but today, people are ripe. They're looking for Looking for hope. What do they see when, 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 when we meet people? You know, we have such a privilege. I, here, here's a phrase that has opened more doors than anything I've ever used in sharing my faith. How many times a day does somebody ask you, how are you doing? Whether it's on the phone or in person, how are you doing? How many times a day do we get asked that? What do we say? Oh, I'm fine when we're not. There are days when I'm not fine. But out of obligation, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm okay. But you know, there's one phrase you can use, and you never lie about it. Amen. What does Matthew 5 say? Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Somebody asks, how are you doing? Praise the Lord, I'm blessed. You may have the worst day of your life, but you are still blessed. That has opened more doors. I have had Walmart cashiers laugh at me, and I've had him cry and ask to be prayed for. Never forget, I remember what state this was, but I'm up to a cashier at a Walmart, and she asked, how are you doing? I said, praise the Lord, I'm blessed, you know, and she just starts tearing up, just tears. I'm like, wow. I said, what's going on? And she had a little pin on her jacket with a picture of a girl. She said, could, well, no, first of all, she, she asked, are you a preacher? Like, I don't quite understand why people think only preachers do this kind of stuff. That, uh, that I don't understand. We may not all be evangelists, but we're all called to evangelize. Yeah, yeah. I said, well, I am, but that's beside the point. What's going on in your heart? She showed me this pin. I said, this is my daughter, picture of my daughter who her ex-boyfriend just murdered. Could you pray for me? We have no idea sometimes where people are at. No idea. But by me saying, I'm blessed, God opened that door to impact and give hope to that person. Um. I want to close with this illustration. I'm going to do that tonight. To encourage us in being faithful in sharing our faith in everyday living. Um, there was a man that called our church some time ago on a Sunday night. A man that was 
desperate for help. Don't know how he got our phone number. Here was the message I got. My friend answered the phone. And after he hung up, he came and talked to me. He said, you know, there was a guy on the other end of the line and said his brother, the guy that called, he said, my blood brother, just left his family, took a weapon, went out to the woods, told his family, I'm not coming back. It's not worth it anymore. Could somebody come and help us? We arranged with our families, and children were young at that time. And the two of us drove, didn't know these people from Adam. Drove about 20 minutes. It's dark out, Sunday evening. And all the, all the way through, we were praying, Lord, spare this person from taking his life. Because as long as there's breath, there is We were just praying, Lord, just somehow protect him from taking his life. We finally get to the place we drive in, and the man who called came running out with a flashlight. This, was, this is insignificant. It's, it is not pointing out certain people. It was an Amish place, and so there was no outside lights in, in any way. It was, it was, so it was dark. So he came running out with a flashlight. And we rolled the window down, and we were like, what is happening? Is he? And he said, you wouldn't believe this, but he just came back. And I said, yeah, we believe it. We believe it. He just came back. I said, where is he? Oh, he's in the house. Does he know we're coming? I mean, I was nervous. I'm like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. Does he know we're coming? Yes, he knows you're coming. Is he okay with us coming in? Yes, he's okay with you coming in. We go up a long fleet of steps. I will never forget this moment. My heart was a thumping and a beating, and I, I didn't know if we're going to come around the corner and he's going to turn on us or what. As long as there's breath, there's hope. We walk into sliding doors off of a deck and into the dining area. I look over to my left, and there was a man standing in the archway like this. I don't think up at that point in my Christian life I had ever seen such a dark, hopeless look on someone's face. And we sit down across the room. He's about 10 feet across the room. And what do you do, Lord? What do you say? How do you start? Like I told you the other night, I think <clears throat> you'll clear your throat 10 times and you're still not sure what to say. And finally, the Lord just gave, gave grace and wisdom and I just told him, I said, um, would, would you mind? You know, we don't really know you. I had looked in through in the living room was his wife sitting. We, we had never met these people. His wife was sitting in tears on the rocking chair, and the children were around her. And I just finally told him, I said, would you, uh, would you mind sharing with us what's on your heart? And for about the next hour and a half, the second best thing happened to him. He opened up. Here was a man, bitter, angry, been a church member all his life or after he got baptized. Baptized, member of the church, but he was bitter at life, bitter at the preachers, bitter at his family, bitter at God, to the point of suicide. And he just unloaded that night, absolutely unloaded. After about an hour, hour and a half, he was done. And I remember just laying out before him, thanking him for sharing, and laying out before him the plan of salvation. But we can't make you do it. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. And he gave his life for you. The message of hope. But we can't make you do it. But we're here to help. He stood there just staring at the floor. Finally, he just went like, can't do it. We prayed. We left. Our hearts were heavy in a sense that we wanted to be number seven. 
But we didn't know the whole story. We left a little more encouraged because there was a little more glimmer of hope in his eyes than before. That was a Sunday night. Wednesday night, we're at home getting ready to go to church. My phone rings. I don't remember who called, but whoever was on the other end said, did you hear about so-and-so? And he gave me his name. Did you hear about him? And my first thought was, no, I haven't heard anything, but I hope, I didn't tell the other person, but my first thought was, I hope he didn't take his life. I said, no, I didn't hear anything. What's going on? He said, well, on Sunday night, when you all left, it was about 11.30 or midnight when we left. He said, on Sunday night, after you all left, he went into the living room where his wife was. What I didn't know is his wife had been a Christian for a number of years and was praying for her suicidal husband for years. And that night, he went in the living room, sat down with her. And about 1.30 in the morning, Lynn, his praying Christian wife led her suicidal husband to Jesus Christ. I wanted to be number seven that night, but no. Some water, some plant. She deserved to be number seven. We found that out. We loaded up our family. We went to visit a few nights later. This night, as we drove in, he stands at the door, big smile on his face, grabbed me. Just the other night, what was I doing? Jesus hug. Yeah, just, just grab me. Yeah, just grab me and just help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We sat down and we talked, we chatted, we talked about the Bible. This went on for weeks. Other people stopped in and encouraged him. Now he's gathering his children around the table, having family devotions. They're, they had seven or eight children at the time, and, and now their, their girls are, are memorizing Scripture. We get out there, they're quoting not only verses, but chapters upon chapters, and, and they're memorizing the Scriptures and, and having family devotions and family time together. And In fact, one night we were in their living room having a Bible study, and, and he, was so, he was so intently listening that... He sat on the couch. He had his legs sticking straight out the front with no props. Try to sit that way. It's very hard. Yeah. He was, he was so into the Word, he didn't even realize. I said, hey, look how you're sitting there. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and the feet dropped on. Like, it was just like, I mean, he was so, he was so into it. And then about a year later, they, they moved south and started attending one of our sister churches. And, and um, all of a sudden, we hear that they sends the call to go to the fields that are white unto harvest. And their pastor called me one day. He said, you know, we're having a commissioning service for them. And he requested, could you come and preach? The Lord worked out the schedule. I'll never forget. That night I used the words, the man in the archway. The man in the archway. And I reflected back when he stood in that archway. Dark, hopeless depressed, ready to take his life. But that night, him and his family are sitting about three pews back, smile ear to ear, ready to go to the fields that are white unto harvest. They were on the mission field about two years, came back. A year after that or so, we were at their church having a service of Sunday night, one night service, singing, preaching. remember giving an invitation. He was one of the first ones at the altar among some others. And then after the service, he came to me and said, let me introduce you to my son-in-law. Now his girls were getting married and son-in-law I'd never met. And he came over to me, son-in-law did, and he just looked at me and he said this, and I say this to the glory of God, but he said, thank you for investing in his life, so I can have a godly wife. 
we have the answers. We rub shoulders with people. Tomorrow, I wouldn't be honest if I would just tell you every time that I'm out there preaching on top of the gas pumps. But no, it's the doors that the Spirit of God opens. There's people I get in contact with that I don't share anything with. But there are many that when we use spiritual language, I'm blessed. Praise the Lord. God opens those doors to bring hope. So tonight, the encouragement is this. Let's not be sidetracked with all the poison out there. The spirit of confusion, control, and fear is on the loose. But friend, tonight, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And let's take seriously the privilege this is to take the message of hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and let that light shine. Are we together? We want to join the thousands and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Are we all together? If we're together, let's stand, shall we?